again, it was, it was, uh, fear is not the right word. I just was unsure of myself for the first time in terms of in baseball. I never really had struggled like that in baseball, and I didn't know how to cope and deal with the struggle. All right, welcome into another episode of Baseball America's interview series from Phenom to the Farm, where we're talking to former professional baseball players to reminisce about their playing days and what they learned on their journey from amateur ball to the professional ranks. I'm your host, Kyle Banduho. Today, we're joined by former Pirates farmhand, all-SEC punter, and as of yesterday, Minnesota Viking Zach Von Rosenberg. Zach is now known more for being the punter on LSU's 2019 National Championship squad, but way back in 2009, he was the Pirates' sixth-round pick, a big overslot signing as a right-handed pitcher coming out of the Louisiana prep ranks. Zach gave me some time earlier last month as he was prepping for the NFL draft to talk about his baseball career. Winning four state championship games in high school, the interesting way the Pirates went about draft negotiations with him when they eventually signed him away from his LSU commitment, and his career in pro ball, specifically pitching when the main goal is development and where winning is sometimes secondary. We get into what life is like for a pro ball arm on days you aren't starting, how you fill that time, and how you deal with FOMO while the rest of your friends are off at college. It's great to see the success Zach has had in his second career as a punter after baseball not going quite his way. We do talk a bit of football at the end, and I get in one of my favorite rapid-fire questions related to Coach O. This was obviously recorded before Zach signed with the Vikings yesterday, but at time of recording, I was really hoping we'd have some well-deserved good news when it dropped. Episodes are from Phenom the Farm drop every other Tuesday. If you enjoy this one, subscribe wherever you get your podcast and go check out past interviews. And if you haven't yet, leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Those do help grow the show. Uh, also, make sure you subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com and the BA podcast feed for all amateur baseball and prospect news. BA just expanded its draft rankings to 400 players, and we're getting pretty close to the college baseball postseason. Teddy Cahill and Joe Healy have you covered on that front, both in the podcast and on the site, 8 for Omaha, and a top 25 dropping every Monday. For future guest info of this podcast, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Banduho. But for now, let's talk to Zach Von Rosenberg. All right, joining in for today's episode from Phenom to the Farm, he's a right-hand pitcher, was a six-round pick of the Pirates in the 2009 draft, an all-SEC punter and 2020 national champion for LSU, Zach Von Rosenberg. Zach, thanks so much for joining from Phenom to the Farm. Um, Thanks for having me. I appreciate you having me on the show. Of course. Uh, Something I don't think I'll ever get to start this podcast with, but how is NFL draft prep going? Um, It's it's been been a lot. It's been... uh, different than baseball and how baseball was for me when I was a kid, but it's similar in a lot of ways too. Uh, the training, because I've been doing the same thing for so long at LSU is a lot different in terms of like functional motion, fast switch type stuff. It, it's been significantly different, but it, I feel like it's taken forever. Like normally I feel like just training side of things in the spring flies by, but this year has been dragging on because I had school for the first time in five years. So it's been, it's been moving slow. It seems like. Have you had to run a 40, a time 40? No, I've run like hundred hundred yard sprints, more like cardio stuff, but no like no like training to run the forty. I told him I would run the forty. I don't know. I would probably get a five one. I know I run faster than Tom Brady, but that's about it. I mean, that, if he can beat someone, they every this time every year they start showing that old video of him running the forty, and it just it's like, oh, that's that's the greatest ever, huh? <laughs> it's tough. It's tough. Well, let's uh, let's go back to high school. Let's go back to when you were a baseball player. Um, every kid dreams of playing at the next level. When did you realize, you know, that was a possibility for you on the mound, whether that be D1 or pro ball? Uh, I was young and it was probably, 
for baseball, um, I was probably nine or 10 when I knew I wanted to do it. I knew I, I could do it. It was just a matter of making it my, my job. And I hate to say that for a nine year old kid, it was still fun. But, uh, with my brother and my, my dad, it kind of became our mission to, uh, to, to have me play at a high level in baseball, whether it be college or pro. And then for football, my first goal was to play, uh, at a high level right when I got on baseball and then to punt, uh, was probably 2016. And then I wasn't thinking about the NFL till 2018, maybe because my first job, our first goal rather was to be the starting player for LSU. And that was a, that was a task in itself, you know? Yeah, well, you, you made it. I mean, you made it to uh, to the you made it to the D one level in football. You made it to the pro level of baseball. Um, one of the coolest superlatives on your high school resume: you won four state championships. Is that correct? That's correct. For the folks listening at home, that is a full one and one thirds of Mansky. Uh, <laughs> when you have that many, is there a, is there a favorite? Like, are, are state championships like kids where you love them all the same? But if you're being honest, you like one a little more than the others. So I guess I would say I love them all the same. However, the first two were special because I was so young. I was still developing as a pitcher in my freshman year, sophomore year, state championships because I wasn't I wasn't a polished pitcher yet. I was getting there. My my accuracy and my you know velocity was getting there, but I had to I had to really pitch to win games, and I didn't have an overpowering fastball. You know, I had good off speed stuff, and I could probably throw eighty four, eighty three when I was a freshman. But um, my, my dominating stuff didn't happen until later on in my high school career. So my, my freshman and sophomore year uh, uh, pitching state championships, rather starting the state championship, was probably my, my my favorites because, like I said, I had to I had to pitch around guys and I had to face great teams with not the best stuff at the time. I had enough to win, but uh, I didn't. I wasn't you know going into the game. I wasn't overconfident that I was going to dominate you. And uh, but uh, in a lot of cases, uh, I was able to keep people on balance with changeups and curveballs and all speed stuff. So it, it worked out for me. When did your at what point did your your stuff start coming along to where you weren't just having to kind of finesse your way to get guys out to where you started to become a prospect and started to get that that pro and that LSU attention? Um, started getting attention at the end of my sophomore year, but my stuff really came around my junior year. I think I hit ninety three my junior year. And I, I was 17 at the time, and I was just like, dang, I got a lot more power than I used to. This is, this is new because I, I was already used to throwing with a, a, you know, a low 80s. To, well, sophomore year, I guess, is mid 80s to low 80s fastball. And then by my junior year, my arm just kind of took off, and um, it, was, it wasn't, I, I could be, I had more leeway, leeway with my fastball. If I wanted to, I could just rear back and just throw it. Good luck hitting it, you know, because 91, 92, 93 in high school uh, is a difficult pitch to hit. That'll do it. It does. That doesn't necessarily apply to the next level, but yeah, in high school, those you know those belt high fastballs get either fouled off or sometimes you know swing and miss. But you know when you when you skip from high school to pro ball, it gets hit hard. <laughs> so heading into the '09 draft, you were deemed very strong LSU commit, like so strong that I remember there was a news piece about you that is still on YouTube that you drove to the College World Series just just to watch, uh, just to watch the LSU team. The draft and, and the potential money offered. How are you? Um, how are you quantifying that in your mind when you're having to, you know, pre-draft put out the word of what it's going to take to buy you out from that commitment? How are you coming up with that um, solution? Like, how are you weighing those options in your mind? I kind of just sat down with my family. We decided on what, like, what number was too, you know, 
too lucrative to pass up, I guess. It was, it was like a business decision. I knew I wanted to play at LSU. I, I turned down a lot of money from multiple teams to play at LSU. But ultimately, it became to like, okay, let's pick a number because at some point, it's too risky to go to LSU and, you know, tear a UCL. I'm just saying that because I was just reading about uh, yeah, Jade uh, Hill, the, the, yeah, the Jade day we're Hill. recording. And it's one of those things like there's only so many throws in your arm and you don't know when it's going to be your last day. There's so many pitchers from the 90s before really good Tommy John surgery existed in the 80s that the pitcher tore that, you know, screwed up his arm one time and never came back. And um, so that was kind of a thing weighing on my mind and my family's mind. Like, you know, what, there, there is a price. We just got to figure it out. I think what we decided on at the time was like 1.5 um, just to get specific. Uh, because that was the top 25 or top 25 pick got that much money. And I think I was slotted at 30 or 29 in that draft. So I was a little bit below. Um, like our numbers were off a little bit, I guess, in terms of the slotting at the time. But I received phone calls like at that 31, 32, 33 pick. I remember the Angels, Red Sox, Royals all called me right there in that, in that frame or something. But our supplemental first round. But I told them all no because they weren't they weren't offering enough to, I guess to for me to say no. Most of them were around the nine hundred range. And then, um, like I said, after the first day, I was like, all right, I guess I'm going to LSU. And it wasn't really like a big, I don't know, letdown. It was you know it was excitement. And then lo and behold, the next day I think I got drafted by the Pirates. I didn't even talk to the Pirates in the pre-draft process. And then they called and said, hey, we're taking you the with the hundred seventy fifth pick. Da da da. da. And we're going to sign you. We're going to give you what you want. And I was just like, well, that's weird. And then, so they didn't talk to me for like two months after that day. It was bizarre. Um, but I think it was because they wanted to sign everybody else, which they did. They were signing guys constantly. The, the Pirates that year went for an interesting strategy of they took college players with their first two picks, signed them for under slot, and then paid a bunch of high school pitchers over slot. Yep. That's exactly what happened. And, uh, yeah, there was a bunch of us, and I think there's only a couple still playing. One of my buddies, Zach Dotson, is still playing. He's he's one of the casualties of the old uh, marijuana rules in, in baseball. But he is, yeah, he is still uh, grinding in Germany as we speak. Yeah, yeah, he he's a good dude. He just he you know he's been young and made some mistakes, and I guess you know he's got to live with it. And um, it is it just does suck that you know now. He, had that not happened to him, what would have happened to his career, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, I, I feel far. He's one of my good friends. And, uh, but times, times have changed and maybe he'd still be playing in, in pro ball now. Mm-hmm. That, that summer while the, the pirates are essentially ghosting you for two months, what is, what's your conversation with coach Maneri and his staff and you know, what, how much communication did you have with them? Uh, I, I probably, I mean, just beginning, I was just like, honestly, look, there's not a whole lot going on. Um, they, they weren't calling. They weren't this. I, I, I was enrolling in classes. I had attended class that summer at LSU, like a health class or something, just to knock out something. I forgot what it was. Um, but uh, it wasn't until things started heating up. I, I was just up front and honest with him and uh, David Gray at the time. And honestly, I probably shouldn't have done that because it might have made the situation a little bit hectic and concerning because I was sharing too much information probably with them and uh, it led to some I guess some miscommunication but I, I again I was probably sharing too much information I should have kept it all private to myself at the time so the you end up signing with the Pirates Pirates Inc you what um, 
you know, what do you think your timeline was to the big leagues? What did you have, you know, any idea or any grand plan of I'm getting there this time, you know, and what kind of guy did you think you would be? What kind of big leaguer did you, you know, did you envision for yourself? My goal at the time, so I was 18 when I signed, I remember saying I wanted to be at least a big league camp by the time I was 21. I didn't necessarily want to be in the big leagues. I wanted to be a big league camp. Um, and they kind of, with all of us, they were very slow with the process. Like I thought, thought my entire time, my rookie year, that I was going to get pushed to long season A. And they told me that they were going to do that at the beginning of camp. But for whatever reason, they kept me to go to short season, I guess, because they wanted to keep all the draft guys together, all the, you know, the young guys. They wanted to keep everybody uh, as a staff all together at the same time. And uh, I mean, I, at the time, I guess I was a little salty about it, but uh, I, I do wish I'd have gotten that first full season in West Virginia, but I, instead I went to State College. I had success there, uh, but it just it dragged out the year. And it, it again, State College was fun. I had a good time, but I wish I would have gotten challenged earlier on in my career before I started having uh, little arm problems here and there. So the the last game you'd thrown as an amateur before the last meaningful game you'd thrown as an amateur before going to State College, aside from one inning in the GCL, was a state championship game, as high stakes as you can get in high school baseball. How difficult is the adjustment then a year later to be pitching in games that are really more focused on development, not winning, and also when you're on a tight pitch count? Yeah, see, that's a completely different ball game with pro ball uh, and how unique it is in terms of the developmental side of things because you go from high school where literally it's high stakes every game, especially in the playoffs, like we're going to win, we're going to find a way to win, we're going to bunt, we're going to head and run, we're going to do this and that, we're going to game plan, we're winning. To Not that you weren't not trying to win, but the urgency, urgency to win in the minor leagues was not there. Like you're in games where guys that should – especially prospects should pitch seven, eight innings, they're getting pulled in the fifth. And then they might have dominated for five innings, have 12 strikeouts, no runs, no teams up four and outs, and all of a sudden you pull your best pitcher and your reliever's given up, and now you lose the game because you didn't keep a guy in that was a stud pitching well. And that was just a weird adjustment because it's, it's your mindset and mentality in minor leagues is completely different than how it is in high school, and that was definitely an adjustment to make. And another adjustment in that same regard is – you were sent out there kind of with a, a half-loaded gun in terms of repertoire. The Pirates, especially at that time, it was focused on your fastball command and throwing certain pitches and, and things like that. It's kind of another another way of not playing completely to win because you're not throwing anything you possibly can to get that guy out. You're working on certain things. How does that... How do you scale back the competitiveness or find the same competitiveness when it's like I have to, you know, sink and cut my fastball all day and I'm, you know, not really allowed to throw my curveball as much as I'd like? Yeah, that was bizarre. And I'm, I'm surprised you knew that. But uh, there was an outing. I remember I, went, I threw five innings in the, uh, it would have been an extended spring uh, in 20, I think it was 2010. I was right before State College. 65 of my 67 pitches were fastballs. <laughs> 65 of 67. And I was one of my, what's crazy is I only gave up one hit. I mean, now go down wrong. I gave up some like liners, line outs, the center and right. Because the guys are picking up like this dude's not telling any kind of speed pitches. But I didn't pick up one until like the third or fourth inning. I don't know how. Uh, I guess because I might have mixed in a changeup because the coach, that was the only rule. I forgot what Hugh did that. But the only time I get thrown off speed pitches is when the coach called it. And so I think I threw one change up in the third and that kind of like threw him off a little bit. But by the fourth inning, like, oh, we're, just, we're teeing off now. Like he's just throwing straight fastballs. But 65 out of 67 pitches in one of my games in the extended spring was 
were fastballs. And um, that was, a, like I said, it was five innings, one hit, no runs. I don't know how. It was one of the best outings of that spring, but it was just bizarre because that's never been my mentality in my entire life. So I knew that you're actually not the first member of that Pirates regime to be on the pod. And then Dotson was actually my wedding. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. That's yeah. right. So when you, in your off seasons, especially early on when you're still still college age, when in an alternate reality you're at LSU and you, you're from Louisiana, so what are what are those few months when you're home like when friends are off at school or um, you know have come back for a Christmas break and they're talking about how fun the semester was or all the, all the stuff they did. What is it like being the professional among, among friends? Is there, I'm sure there, sure there are certain perks, but I'm sure there's also FOMO. I can't remember if FOMO was a phrase back then, but I'm sure there was FOMO. Oh yeah. The, the fear of missing out was alive and well, because everybody's talking about everything that they were doing in the spring or, you know, all the stories you're, you know, you come in for the second game of the season for me or for LSU season and they're already they're talking about stuff that happened in the summer when I was playing baseball all summer, you know, or their job, or you know, you miss out on a bunch of memories. So you, you do have that sense of FOMO, but at the same time, you're coming in, and uh, you know, you got a little money in your pocket. You know, you're not worried about budgeting so much. <laughs> little as, is an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't have as much, uh, I guess, uh, concern about uh, if you go out fun, you go to walk-ons or you know, wherever. You're not, you know, I can only spend fifty dollars this week because my, you know, I get every two weeks I get. $200 or, you know what I mean? So you're not that, you know, that hung up on, you know, budgeting yourself and you're an adult immediately. Like I moved out pretty much at 18 years old. I bought my, I bought this house 11 years ago. And, um, so it was, it was different. I mean, you grow up fast, you grow up faster than the average college student. Cause you start paying taxes, you start paying bills, you got, you got water bills in two different States. Cause you're, you know, you for, you know, half the year you're living in Florida, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, wherever. And, uh, so you're, you're dealing with a lot. Uh, more than a, a typical 19, 20, 21 year old uh, that's in college. So short season, your first year out, you're in State College. By all accounts, a fun college town. I've heard great things about State College. Uh, I heard great things about the stadium. Age 20 and 21, you were in, in Charleston, West Virginia. State capital of West Virginia, fun fact. Uh, there's a casino there. I've been to it twice. I got cleaned out within 30 minutes both times. I will never go back. I don't really know how much else there is in, in Charleston, West Virginia. How do you... How do you occupy occupy your time off the field, especially because you're only throwing once every five days? Yeah, so my first year, uh, I drove a lot because I had a car I liked to drive on the highway. Um, but then um, I I did a lot of weird stuff. Like, um, and here's the other thing too, because we pretty much played seven days a week. You're not doing too too much. Like the most stuff I got done was actually on, this is probably bad, but on the days that I pitched, like I would, I really get out the house and be active. I wouldn't be like, you know, going crazy or anything, but I, I had a little routine where I went and walked a certain place and, you know, a trail or whatever, just to get outside. Cause I don't want to be cooped up all day. I went to run my errands, maybe go to Walmart, pick up groceries. Like on that day was my day to, to do a lot of things. Um, and get stuff done but i guess on the off days so every i think every two weeks at the time we were getting an off day or it was every 10 days we we're getting off days, something like that but um i mean i hang out with Dottie, and we <laughs> we just play video games a lot too that was a big thing uh he would he would he would play a lot of video games he played more than me that hasn't changed yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i believe it um but yeah no it's play a lot of video games I went to this little, um, one of our host families that was there, 
hole. We had team outings. We did, you know, we went out to eat. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think how many days off in the season we had, and it really wasn't that many. Sometimes I'm just sleeping all day, you know, because we just got off on a big road trip. It just depended on it depended on the the day we, that fell on the off day, you know. And sometimes it was a travel day. We had to bus 11 hours or some crap. Like, it was crazy. Can you rank the days in between a start, like, during the actual game? Because as a, as a member of the rotation, you're doing different things. You're charting some days. You actually get to be in the dugout some days. Is there, like, do you have a preference of what you were doing on the days you were you were not playing when that, the game was actually going on? Uh, yeah, so as a starter, um, the day after you charted, the second day after you charted, I didn't think you, as far as I remember, I don't think you got back to the dugout until, like, the day before your start. I might have it backwards. Well, it also depended, though. Uh, it depended on the order of, of the starter, because sometimes it would get mashed around. But, um, yeah, I, I prefer to be the radar gun guy and just, you know, here's radar, write the number, and that be done. And then they gave us a computer, and I hated that computer. That was the worst thing ever. It was like the the foundational. It was, I bet they have something so much better. Like I had the dinosaur sure. computer. Just uh, whatever they have now, I guarantee you was better than what me and me and Zach Dawson had to deal with. That thing was a nightmare because it would miss pitches, and I don't know. It was just I hated it. But anyway, besides that. That one day, every other day was fine. Like, I didn't mind doing the radar guns, writing their velocity. Uh, I didn't mind being in the dugout. I didn't mind being in the bullpen. Um, but I didn't like that computer. That computer, I would, if I could get it, I'd smash it with a hammer. <laughs> office, uh, office space it. Speaking of velocity, so coming up in the draft, early in pro ball, how often did you you hear about being a projection guy? You're, you're tall, you're 6'5". Um, when teams draft guys like the U, it's because they, they dream on the velocity. They say, you know, there's more in the tank. The stuff's going to come. How often did you hear about, hey, you should, you know, you need to be throwing harder. You should be throwing harder. Or expect that out of yourself of like when I, you know, when I get a little older, when I mature a little bit more, this stuff's going to come and I'm going to blow people away. Um, that, that was early on. I, they gave me a little change. They changed my arm angle or about three, two years in my career, three years in my career. Um, they wanted me to be at the time who Charlie Morton was with the Pirates. He was a sinker ball pitcher. Uh, they wanted me to lower my arm angle a little bit, which probably messed with my, you know, my natural motion. And uh, I liked it at first because I was getting out. But then once you start wearing down, getting higher innings because it's an unnatural motion, you're not, I guess, healing properly or whatever. I don't know. Not, not recovering as fast because it's not your natural arm motion. I kind of had a lot of issues with it. My arm actually even got super sore, which I'd never had experienced like career i don't know i just had like knots and it was, it was a weird time because i didn't know how to get back to my base level or baseline you know as a pitcher um but i was just i was following orders i was, I was doing what i thought was my job to listen to my superiors my bosses and they told me that they had a vision for me and i was i believed in it and uh you know if i could go back now would i do that i don't know but um at the time i thought i was doing the right thing and i was getting results early from it but the results did not continue um, and that's when it became a problem. And, uh, but no, after, after that, I never saw, I got velocity back kind of in 2014, but my arm, I just, I don't know, it wasn't the same. And I never really, uh, I never really figured it out, I guess, how, what worked for me. Again, I tried, like I said, I tried to get back to, um, who I was as a high school pitcher because I felt like my, probably until I was 20, I felt like I was a completely different person. And after, after 21, I just saw something fell off, something wasn't right. And uh, my pitching and accuracy and kind of a little bit of everything was down. My velocity 
shoes down. It was it was an interesting time, and I was it was a battle I had to fight and figure out. And I, I still pitched during that time, but I didn't pitch up to my abilities for sure. Mm-hmm. You go out to your first your first season and full season ball at West Virginia is kind of up and down. Um, you're kind of going through the things that you're talking about. The next year in spring training, they hold you back into a extended spring. Uh, what is life like in extended spring training? Because I've I've heard nothing but not good things. Yeah, you're not going to hear good things. <laughs> it's just, uh, it sucks the life out of you a little bit. Like, you love baseball, but it makes it not feel like baseball. It makes it feel like it's a chore. What do they tell you in extended spring? Like, when they say, hey, we're not sending you out to full season ball, do they give you an a thing of, hey, you do this, you're going to get out of here. Is there a goal or is it like this is a holding pen? Until we I think that, that that year you're talking about, I, they, I came in in the best shape of my life. I had the best testing, the best like conditioning test run, the best uh, body fat. I had all the best everything I've ever had in my, in my whole career in terms of like physicality. And for some reason that spring, my velocity was way, way down. And they were concerned with that. And I guess they thought I was injured. And they held me back in spring, and they kind of were like, we're just going to hold you here until your velocity comes back. And I think it had a little bit to do with me changing my arm angle, a little bit to do with maybe being being a little too bulky and not being as limber as I had been previously because when I was scrawnier, I was throwing significantly harder. And I'd say that in that way, scrawnier. But my, my I don't know, my, I just had a better whip. I had a better, um, I was more explosive. And once I got heavier, I think I was like 225 and strong. But I was slow, and I don't even know how to describe it. It's just I wasn't the same. I wasn't the same pitcher, and that's kind of why I stayed in extended spring that that 2012 season. The year, the the rest of that year after you get out to full season ball, and you're fighting through, you know, arm trouble, and you're just you don't feel like yourself. Are you still like? Are you still having fun with it? Are you still enjoying it, or is everything more of a struggle? I pitched better in 2012. Uh, so I was enjoying it, but I wasn't enjoying the fact that I wasn't progressing in the way that I thought I should. Uh, I was pitching better, and Zach would attest that. Um, he was my roommate. I was pitching better, but I wasn't pitching with explosive velocity. I wasn't throwing the way that I felt that I should be throwing at 22 years old. And uh, I never really got it back. Again, I was fighting through it and, and working with what I had. I think I finished with like a four, a little over a four ERA that year. But I just never got, I never found it in the way that I felt I had it in 2010 when I was, you know, much younger in in state college. After that year then, do you, is it possible to adjust your expectations of yourself? Because you, you know, you'd given yourself this, you know, this thing of I'm going to be in big league camp by the time I'm 21. Things haven't exactly gone to plan. You know, is it easy to kind of adjust expectations of, you know, I'm maybe I'm not you know, on the trajectory I thought I was going to be, but there's still a future for me. Like, how do you go about, you know, setting new goals or, or resetting the standard of what you want to do? So at the time, I think I going in that 2013 year, I was just like, I'm going to, I'm going to get back to who I am. I'm going to throw the same velocity. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to find my 2020, 2010 stride and, and throw hard again. Um, and kind of said, I, I didn't want to go back to, uh, you know, that 2012 de- decline. And like I said, and velocity and explosiveness. Uh, and then I think I, I tore my hamstring like the day after camp ended. So that was like, <laughs> that was a terrible start to the year. And obviously, I, I don't remember how long I was out, but it seemed like a long time. And uh, even when I came back, it just, I was very timid on my, my, because it was on my push off leg. I was very timid pushing off the mound for a while. 
And uh, I pitched okay that year, but I was hurt most of the season. Is that what sent you to the bullpen as well when you got back, they put you in the pen? Yeah, I got I was immediately in the pen when I came back, which I wasn't mad about because they knew I was probably going to be timid with my hamstring. But it's just it's just like one thing after another. And then that same year, I got uh, I started getting nerve issues in my hand. I would lose sensation in my outer three fingers uh, when I finally did get back, and it was just like it was just bad. Like, what do like? How do I? get over this like what what is it that's preventing me from taking that next step and it was just one thing after another and i, I guess like i said from back you know the beginning of the conversation you only have so many throws before things start really going wrong for you and that and that that for me was was true and that was really really coming along in 2013 in terms of there's always something wrong and uh, it never really stopped that off season did you give any thought to what's life look like for me after baseball was that had you let that in your mind because you I mean you know you had a house in Baton Rouge you were right next to the school that you dreamed of attending did that that cross your mind at all yeah and uh there's a lot of like um my training became different how I prepared became different I wasn't training to be I was training out of fear like I was training out of well what if this isn't what I'm gonna do anymore you know what I mean it wasn't training like I'm I'm the guy, I'm going to be the guy. It was, it was me being timid because, well, well, I put so much effort in the last season. So if I do that again, I'm just going to get hurt and all go to waste, you know? And that was kind of where I was at. So like, damn, I trained so hard and almost got nothing to show for it. So like, how do I train now and stay mentally, you know, the same state I was, I guess, when I had success, but I was, I guess, again, it was, it was, uh, Fear's not the right word. I just was unsure of myself for the first time in terms of in baseball. I never really had struggles like that in baseball, and I didn't know how to cope and deal with the struggle. And um, so, yeah, no, I, I definitely thought about what, what would life look like after baseball. And I even, you know, that reflected in the way I trained. I just tried to do, I tried to go revert all the way back to what my high school routine was um, and how I prepared for high school baseball. And, um, when I came to 2014, uh, I was exclusively in the bullpen. And I even, you know, I pitched well that year too, but I never had that consistent, I don't know, it, it was weird. I, I mean, if you, if you had to be there in one of those ways to see it, like one day I would look lights out like a big league pitcher and the next outing I'm throwing 84 miles an hour. It's like, what is going on with this dude? And uh, I remember one time I hit 94, 95, and like in Lexington, Kentucky, I was throwing 94, 95. And the next outing, it was like 86, 87. It was bizarre. And, um, but yeah, it was, it was a weird time. Do you think it was, it was all physical or do you think there was any mental men, like, was it, was it a mentality thing too of, of the days that you were completely on and the days that you were off or was it just never being able to get your body where it needed to be? I think it was a little bit of both. Um, I'd never felt like my body was when I, th- when I strung together good outings pitching, there wasn't that, um, I-, I knew I had it that day. And on the days, I guess, where I came out, I was like, ooh, my, you know, my, my hands or my forearms not feeling great. Or my, you know, she- and that's the reality of pitching in the major leagues. You're, you're not going to feel great all the time. But whenever I didn't feel great, I'm throwing 86. Whenever guys in the big leagues aren't feeling great, they're, they still got 95 in their back pocket. 
And uh, so that was probably the biggest thing for me is, is maybe whenever I knew I didn't have it, I thought I had to be perfect in terms of placing the ball. So all of a sudden my velocity dips significantly. So I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to dot, trying to dot, uh, you know, the catcher up and get a ball at the knees every time or be too careful. And instead of just saying no holds bar or whatever, I got what I got today and it is what it is. And uh, that's probably something I was able to roll over to punting pretty well. Is that, you know, some days I don't feel great when I'm punting in the game, but it doesn't matter. I got, you know, screw it. Here we go. You know, the legs there. Yeah, exactly. Walk me through spring training 2015. Did you have, did you have any clue in your mind that you were pitching for a job? Yeah, I knew. I still thought I was going to get a shot. And, you know, when I read Bradenton, I, I thought I was going to get an opportunity. And, um, I think because I struggled in my last outing, uh, that's why they're like, you know, we're going to cut ties. We've decided to go our separate ways. But no, I knew I was fighting for a job, and I, I pitched well the entire spring until my last outing. And uh, I think, I hate to say it, but I think they were waiting for me to have a, a poor outing to give me the news. Like, hey, you know, we, we, we want to move in a different direction. And uh, yeah, no, it was, it, was, it was rough. I mean, I tried to play indie ball. And even I couldn't stay healthy then. So I was just kind of riding on the wall. My goodness, like, I don't even know, like, what do I do? Like, I have an arm, but I can't, I can't maintain it in the way I need to, to keep pitching. What's the fallout of being, being released? I think we see it as a fan. We see, you know, look at the transaction. Pirates release Zach Von Rosenberg. As a fan, it's like, okay, well, he's, you know, he's off to whatever. But like, as as the player, and it's something that I, I can't imagine that you ever imagined would happen at 24 years old. You know, you walk out of that office, you're you're 24 years old, no degree, you know, you've topped out at high A. What, you know, how long does it take you to process that? Like, what's the what's the next step after that, after leaving? Um, so I stayed in Florida and I trained for at least a month and a half. And then I went home and then I came back. So I trained in Florida for a significant period of time. I was throwing with Ryan Beckman at the time until he got picked up. I forgot what team picked him up. But me and him were, were throwing there until at least, I would say at least middle of May. So I was, and he got picked up, like I said, and then I had no throwing partner. And after that, I think I tried out for the Skeeters and another team. But they had, I already had a full roster. And then once the team finally, any ball team finally, I was like, hey, well, we want you to come up throw i had like one more i was like one more bullpen and then i'll go up and do it and during that bullpen i like strained my form and i was like this is unbelievable like anytime i i think i'm getting somewhere uh you know it, it, i have a setback and that's when i was like you know maybe maybe it's time to stop allowing this frustration to keep creeping to inhibiting my performance on the field um and like you said the mentality side of things slipping in there knowing that when i don't have it i, I can't uh get over that block of like well i don't want to throw and you know, shred my arm or whatever. I don't know what it may have been. I, I never really reflected on that, honestly, until now. But, um, yeah, no, it, it, it was something in the back of my mind. Like, I don't I don't know if I have it in, in my arm anymore. How long did it take you to actually feel retired? Like, you weren't a baseball player anymore. Uh, not until I enrolled in at LSU. I was still throwing until, you know, right before school had started that fall. That fall. I, I kind of gave up whenever I didn't make it to, like, a uh, – end of the year um camp uh a postseason camp and i was just like it's time to it's time to move on and that's when i enrolled in the shit once that first day of school hit and that first homework assignment hit that's when i was like all right i'm not a baseball player (laughs) 
Well, we're getting we're getting close on time, but I, I want to ask a few football questions because I don't know how, how many times in this podcast I'll have a football player. Um, thing I'm personally curious about, I'm a huge fan of food, but you you initially tried to, to make the team as a tight end or to, to play tight end. What does the daily diet look like getting to tight end weight? Oh, my God. Uh, I'll never do that again, but uh, I was eating like four breakfast burritos before 10 a.m., and I was drinking... 4,000 calories in shakes every day. Again, I got there at 219, and within seven months, I was 260. And uh, I think it might have been six months. But regardless, that weight gain, I would not wish on anybody because that was, I was uh, walking across campus was a chore when you're 260. I ripped multiple pairs of pants. Uh, <laughs> like everything didn't fit anymore. I had to lose all that weight just so I could fit in my clothes again. But no, it was it was fun. It was a fun little ride because I I got strong. That was the honestly the, the big plus and all the thing. I, the whole ordeal is I didn't know I could get strong like that, and I was for the first time in my life actually strong. And uh, I got smacked around a couple times by a couple players like Arden Key and got bruised ribs, and I was like, Ugh, I don't know, I don't know how much I can do this. <laughs> this punning thing might yeah, <laughs> take a look at this punning be thing. A better. Yeah, right. When did you realize that punting was, was the move? Not just because you didn't get hit as much, but when, when was there like, I'm not only like, is this my position, but like, I can be good at this, like all SEC good at this. Uh, all SEC good at it. Um, probably about six, eight months in, uh, when did I know I could win that job was when Cam Cameron told me, Hey, look, like, I know you're playing tight end. We, all our tight ends just got healthy. And I've seen you mess around and practice punting. And it's like, you got a big leg and you're not even kicking with soccer cleats. Like, you're just kicking with football cleats and you, you got a, you got a strong leg. I think you should pursue it. And that's when I was like, okay, let me make the transition and, and see where this goes. How long did it take you to, to come to terms with you weren't a baseball player anymore? You're a football player. Because there's being retired and not being a baseball player anymore. Honestly, once I started training and, and getting in the weight room with Coach Moffitt, our uh, chef coach, it, it really didn't cross my mind that much because I got to take a lot of anger out on some weights. And that was that was an easy uh, – it, it, it made it a lot easier. Um, there was all that frustration, pent-up anger, whatever it may be, um, loss, whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, because that's what it was. You failed at something. And with that failure, you gotta you got to find a new dream and, and – uh, Knowing that I failed at something, I knew I wasn't going to fail twice, you know, and that was the only attitude I could have to be successful. And that's kind of what I applied it to. I was going to be a, an animal in the weight room and get strong. And that, that toned down significantly as I aged. But then it became smart training. Instead of just me going in, trying to throw around as much weight as possible, it became, all right, how can I get as explosive as I can in this workout? How can I be, you know, do this in functional movements and get flexible and all that stuff? So it changed. And over time, it changed. And I should have. Uh, but at first, it was just it was just me uh, exercising some demons, you know. With your past career in mind, like as gained experience, where do you think your baseball career has helped you during your time at LSU versus if you would have just enrolled to play LSU football as an eighteen year old to play tight end or to punt? No, oh, I, I mean baseball allowed me to. I mean the competition and seeing the the level and how professionalism how professionalism looks versus how amateurism looks. And how the training goes into both is so different. You know, instead of guys, you know, I don't want to say this too rudely, but college kids will lift, run, 
practice and then go out on a Thursday night and get wasted until three o'clock in the morning and then have to wake up for a 6 a.m. lift again. Well, how are you going to hire your muscles? How are they going to recover? How are you going to actually get stronger if you don't give your body enough nutritional value to get stronger and get enough rest so your muscles, you know what I mean? So like that side of things, you know, there's a lot of kids that need to be kids and they have to get that out of the way and their their real focus comes in like, oh my God, I've been here two years now I have to, now I can't be going out on Thursday, you know, or Monday or whatever day it is. Um, but uh, 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 treating it more like a professional job make, makes you better, faster because you have all the tools. We have a world-class facility here in Baton Rouge. You go there and it's nicer than I would venture to say 25 of the, of the 32 NFL teams facilities. It's it's either as nice or nicer than twenty five of them, and uh, and maybe more. I don't know. I've been told that it's, it'd be top five in the NFL if if it was an NFL team. And uh, but no, that's that's where I got to train at, and, and going to an environment like that is, is special. So going back to signing day two thousand nine, if you could talk to that Zach von Rosenberg and sit him down when he he's just. He can't say anything about the decision. He's already signed his signed his name on the contract. He's about to head out to Pro Bowl. What would you? What's the pep talk? What would you tell that guy? Uh, don't room with Zach Dotson. <laughs> <laughs> that, that'd be a, that'd be a real good one. If I could tell my eighteen year old self some stuff about Zach Dotson, I would do the same. I hope he's gonna love it. I'm gonna make sure he listens. Uh, oh my god, it's hilarious. Um, but no, uh, what would I tell myself? Would you still do it? Actually, I'd have still gone. I'd have still gone to the Pirates. Um, I probably would have. When it came to the coaches, I probably would have spoken less because I tried to get too much information too soon. I felt that um, me talking to them too much, I guess, specific coaches too much, made them feel like I was too anxious to be like, I was getting ahead of myself. Like I was trying to go somewhere that I wasn't ready for like Lynchburg or uh, Bradenton later on. Like I I wish 18 year old me would have just listened instead of asking so many questions, but it was just out of curiosity. I wanted to know, I wanted to be a sponge and soak up as much information as possible. And in private environments, I asked too many questions and I wish I could go back on that and just focus on the important things. And things that I thought that I could take away because you're not going to, I'm trying to gobble up 60 different things in one conversation instead of I should have just taken three things from it and applied them to my career. And, uh, but that's, that's what an 18 year old does. You try to, you try to be, you know, a professional, you try to learn every single thing all at once. Instead, you should just learn three things and learn those things to the best of your ability before moving on. Got a little rapid fire for you and then I'll let you get out of here. Favorite minor league ballpark? Charleston, South Carolina. Best hitter you ever faced? Uh, I don't know if he's the best hitter, but he hit the furthest home run I've ever seen off of me, Edwin Encarnacion. He he does that. (laughs) Worst minor league bus trip? Everyone who has come on this podcast has a nightmare story. We we broke down in North Carolina. I don't even remember where. I shut it out of my memory, but we were dying. The AC went out straight on the side of the road and it was miserable we had to wait however long for another bus to come get <laughs> i think when i hit 100 episodes of this podcast i'm going to do a super cut of every single guest saying we broke down and just have that just on a loop <laughs> worst hit you've ever taken on a football field arden key smacking he gave me some bruised ribs he probably, yeah he might have cracked a 
couple. I don't know. I never got an X-ray, but it, it hurt like hell for a few months. Do you have a favorite punt? Like best in-game punt? Um, probably my biggest punt early in my career, 2017 Florida with four minutes left. We're winning 17, three minutes left. We're winning 17-16. We won the game 17-16. I put her on the three. Best old man joke you've heard in the locker room? They got some good ones now. Um, anytime it's like we'll have pre-game videos and there's an old lady in the videos like, yeah, hey, Grandpa, there you go. It's like Betty White and whoever else. I don't know. Any of those are pretty funny. Last one. You get locked in the octagon to go three rounds with Ed Orgeron. What's the result of the fight? Oh, uh, I'm going for the kneecaps because I don't want to <laughs> I don't deal with the growl or the <laughs> I'm going straight for the kneecaps. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the strategy, but other than that, I'm just trying to make sure he can't walk very fast <laughs> to chase after me. Good strategy. That, that's not a guy I would want to get a hold of me. Zach von Rosenberg, that's all I've got. Uh, thanks for joining from Phenom to the Farm. Best of luck in the NFL draft. I appreciate you. And that's it for today's episode of From Phenom to the Farm. Again, a huge thanks to Zach von Rosenberg for taking the time and a huge congratulations to him for signing with the Minnesota Vikings. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Rate and leave a review over on Apple Podcasts and episodes of the show. Do drop every other week on Tuesdays. Also remember to subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com and the BA podcast feed for all amateur baseball and prospect news. That's all we got today. Thanks for listening.